Hey y'all, welcome back to Is That Too Jark? I'm Nikki. And I'm Kaylin. And we're doing a different type of recording today because we're both, well, I'm in my bed. I'm sitting at a desk that doesn't belong to me, so that's oh, interesting. Oh, I love that. We are <laughs> recording. We can't even see each other. We're not even in the same state. We're in different places. We're different vibes today. Same vibes, different zip codes, I think. Different but... <laughs> zip codes. So for the next few weeks, bear with us. If things sound a little weird, uh, we're still trying to figure out how to do the damn thing. I know. And now like, we're just, in different states. Just when I figure out the freaking volume issues, it's like, okay, let's add a wrench to that. Yeah. So I think it's only like two episodes, though, and then we'll be back to normal scheduling. So yeah. just turn it up for a little bit and we'll talk yeah. as loud as we possibly can, really. Yeah, I'm, like, screaming at my computer right now, so. All right, so our last episode, Scotty Boy, um, I need to not call him that, but Scott <laughs> Peterson, I did the dark news and the normal story, so this week, you're going to do the dark news and the normal story, the next week, don't worry, guys, we'll be back on our routine, we'll be back on our bullshit. I was hopefully. just going to say that, that's great. <laughs> uh, we're still of one mind, you guys, don't we're worry. We're still of one mind, we can't see each other, but we're vibing. We're vibing. We're All thriving. All right, so what do you have for us before you tell us the gross story of the <laughs> Sacramento Vampire? So for dark news, I wanted to highlight the story of Daniel Robinson. Um, Daniel Robinson is another missing persons case active in the U.S. right now. Um, and it definitely opens the door to some conversation about, um, you know, attention in the media and who gets that attention so for sure um do you know anything about this case I don't know that much honestly I think most of what I've seen from it is because people are like well why is Gabby Petito getting all this attention but he's not and then there's another woman I believe her name is Lauren that is missing that is getting a lot of attention too which we'll also cover um but right now we're just going to focus on Daniel right yes so for today I wanted to tell the story of Daniel Um, And I'm glad you don't have a lot of information because we don't have a lot of information. His dad, David, has been doing a lot of the work to get him even in the media, let alone, like, kept in the media. Um, But he went missing on June 23rd this year in Arizona. His car was found deserted in a ravine on July 19th. What was he doing in Arizona? Do we know? He worked there. He worked in um, near Phoenix. Um, and he worked as a geologist, um, which I think is kind of cool. He like works with rocks and stones and whatever. That else. is pretty cool. Like, <laughs> who do you know that's a geologist? No one, because I I don't venture out. But um, maybe <laughs> that maybe maybe that's enough reason for Daniel to um, come out of whatever's happening right now, which I'll get into. Um, but because his car was found in the desert in a ravine. His belongings were also in his car. His clothing, his keys, his cell phone, and his wallet were all left behind, but there was no sign of him. Wow. Side note, if you can hear my washer and dryer right now, I'm so sorry. I got a small apartment and I got to do laundry because I'm going out of town tomorrow. So So we'll say, mind your business. It's not laundry. (laughs) Mind your business. It's not laundry. I don't know what it is. At least it's not dirty laundry like Brian. Gross. Dirty laundry. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Daniel. Arizona. Um, All of his stuff's abandoned. So a body was located in that same desert 
um, in August, actually. But the investigation found that it was not Daniel's body. And actually, I just read this this morning. Um, throughout the search for Daniel, they found five other missing persons within that 70-mile radius oh of that Oh, my desert. God. So, who knows? If oh, my they gosh. You been... know what this reminds me of? What? Because it's it... Arizona, right? Yeah. Alyssa Turney. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I haven't seen Sarah, obviously, Queen Sarah, talk about it at all, but I don't. that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, so I think that his dad has been such an advocate for him, and his dad actually lives in South Carolina, but he drove his ass all the way to Arizona and is living in a hotel until Ugh. he finds his son or until the police find his son or a sign of his son, anything. So we know he's a geologist, but do we know why he was out there? It was just a work site. All the research I did didn't really have, like, a lot of info as to what he was working on. Um, But, like I said, he was last seen on June 23rd. um, And his coworkers kind of reported that he was behaving just not like himself. So he left the job site, drove in the direction of the desert around 9 in the morning, according to his coworker named Kenneth. Um, he said that Ken- Kenneth said that Daniel kept asking him, Kenneth, if he wanted to go home to Phoenix to rest unprompted, unabridged, like just the same question over and over again. Um, after about 15 minutes of that, Daniel just took off. He didn't say goodbye. He didn't say he was going anywhere. He just left. Does he have um, a history of mental health? His mental health was never really in question. It was more just he, for me, for me at least, it sounds like he just wasn't very considerate. He'd just kind of go on holiday <laughs> without telling, or he'd tell somebody, but he it wasn't really like an option. He would just say, yeah. like, okay, and he's well. what, in his young 20s? Like maybe he, yeah. it's not a priority right now to spend every Thanksgiving with his family. He wants right. to go somewhere else. Right. Do your thing. He wants to go pick some rocks. But even that, like, he would talk to his family every day, whether he was on a trip or not. Um, so around, around 3 o'clock on the day he disappeared, June 23rd, Kenneth realized that no one had heard from Daniel at the job site. So he actually went and drove in the direction that Daniel had gone into to see if he could find any sign of him, um, but he couldn't. Um, so he reached out to the job site coordinator or whatever. And I believe they were the ones who contacted the authorities. Um, Or I'm sorry, let me backtrack. I actually know that it was David, Daniel's dad, that contacted the Buckeye police um, after not hearing from his son for 26 hours. Um, Oh, wow. So he must have been very on talking to his family every single day. Yeah, yeah, every single day. I think regular check-ins and all of that. So David mentioned... um, to the police and to, he did an interview with CNN. Um, David mentioned that all of Daniel's photos on his Instagram account were deleted the day of his disappearance. He just straight up was like, nope, we're not doing it anymore. That's weird. Yeah. So with all of this, like pretty much every ounce of information we have can be attributed to David um, putting in the legwork. Like I said, he drove from South Carolina to Arizona to set up at a hotel and be nearby so he can monitor progress. 
Um, he set up a GoFundMe page to help finance the search and hopefully rescue efforts, um, which we already discussed this, but I'm going to put that up in the bio on our Instagram. Um, just so if you guys do want to contribute or track the progress or see updates live from David, that'll be available to you as well. And that can be in the show notes as well. Yes. Yeah. So we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it on the Instagram um, hopefully it won't need to stay up for very long. Just be, hopefully Daniel gets found. Um, but I just wanted to say like that link will be there for those of you that would like to utilize it. Um, back to the story though, according to Daniel's family, he had also been behaving oddly in the weeks leading up to his disappearance. Um, his sister reported that he had texted her that he had an emergency, but never answered any of her corresponding phone calls. And previously in the like previous weeks had come to her apartment to just sit in silence for 30 minutes. And then he just left. He came in, he sat down and left. Interesting. Yeah. Just, I, I mean, I've done that, but I feel like that's more of like a disassociation thing than a, I don't know, but, um, but like going to someone else's house, yeah. you know, and then just sitting there, like I get being like at your house or hanging out with someone, but like you choose to go over there, don't say anything to them and just sit there. Yeah, no, it definitely raised some flags. How on. old is he? I want to say Daniel is 23, but let me double check myself really quick because I don't want to give that wrong information. I'm curious because that is kind of the age where schizophrenia presents itself. Yeah, that's true. He's 24. Yeah, um, and that's the early 20s seems to be the time. And I am not diagnosing him or any shape or form, but it seems like there was a lot of clues that something was going on. And the fact that he kept telling his friend, like, hey, you know, or do you want to go home? Do you want to go home? Do you want to go home? Like, and he just vanished into thin air, but all of his stuff is left. I wonder yeah. if he just kind of walked away and was planning to come back, but now hasn't. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's that or like a manic episode or something sinister happened, like something external oh, yeah. happened. So Well, and it could have been like, hey, he was wandering around. I mean, he probably knew the area really well, but someone, he went into the wrong path of someone, right. you know. Or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... After that episode with his sister where he sat at her house and then just kind of left, his father also reported that Daniel had told him he was in love with a woman. But David said when he questioned Daniel about it, Daniel didn't appear to know anything at all about her. Oh. Um, police. I mean, police. me with Joe Jonas. I know, right? <laughs> Who is she? Um, police believe that the woman in question is one that Robinson delivered Instacart groceries to. She reportedly invited him into her home and gave him, or they exchanged phone numbers because he seemed friendly, but after he showed up unannounced a couple times and told her that he loved her, she asked him to lose her number and stay away, which apparently he complied with. She doesn't report oh, okay. that he came back or anything. Well, at least there's that. Right. But it again, that kind of shows, even if he doesn't have a history of mental health issues or anything like that, it definitely gives like some inclination to feeling like maybe that's what's going on right um so with all of that in mind the police being you know cheered on or egged on by david have reported a couple of searches uh ground searches specifically in the desert um and they also looked into evidence on daniel's jeep 
which I did not know this was a thing. And I'm sure my partners in the other room, like, Hey, you know, I could have told you that, but they were able to look and see that the ignition was turned over 46 times. And okay. It's... And this is what actually uh, my friend and one of our listeners, Olivia messaged us about oh, really? um, on our yeah. Instagram. And I was, yeah, I had no idea that can be checked either. Or like, I know mileage can be checked, but yeah, I had no idea that was something you could do or see. Yeah, so that was one thing. Like, they turned over the – the ignition was turned over 46 times, but also the Jeep was driven an additional 11 miles after the crash. Um, And I guess for whatever way, they were also able to see that Daniel was wearing his seatbelt at the point of the impact, which to me – like, that to me indicates that he wasn't trying to die. Like, even if this was something he chose for himself – but maybe, you know, he's out there trying to start a new life. He's maybe adopted, like, a new identity or something. Um, explains... I mean, these are all possibilities. It's been, right. what, a few months now and no one's seen him? or Right. I just well, feel like and... nowadays it's hard to disappear and start a new life. Absolutely. Well, and that, that coupled with the fact that he deleted his Instagram. Yeah. And that's where like I'm that. saying, like, running into foul play, but you deleted your whole Instagram. Like, right. what person who you know is gonna murder someone is then gonna be like oh by the way let's delete the instagram like that doesn't erase him from the earth right his dad obviously seems like a bad bitch and he's you know (laughs) gonna find him yeah his parents are super involved that's amazing yeah um so that's where i leave his story there's not a lot more information other than the evidence that they found regarding his jeep but in regards to his whereabouts we don't really have any follow-up information this is still an active case um i did want to say anyone with information regarding daniel's whereabouts or disappearance is definitely encouraged to contact the Buckeye Police Department. Um, I actually have their number here. It is 623-349-6400. And like I said, I'm going to link the GoFundMe page in our bio on our Instagram and in the show notes. Is that too dark? Um, Sources that I've used to research this so far, I got a lot of it from CNN, ABC News, Independent, and Insider. Um, And the GoFundMe page itself, like I said, is run by David. So live updates are coming from Daniel's dad on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah, go as David. Well. Yeah, no, he's like, you know what? The Petito family did it right. I'm glad for them that they're getting all this coverage, but there's definitely, you know, a difference in these cases in regards to media coverage. And he's like, and I'm not letting that happen to my son. So. There is a difference. And I think most people can guess what that obvious difference is yeah just based on appearance and I do kind of want to touch on that because I know there's been a lot of uproar about what they call like white women syndrome basically you know like white blonde beautiful women get a lot of media coverage which is true and actually I think one great thing about podcasting and you know people who are into true YouTube and all the type of people is that we are all covering so many different things now and we understand that there is you know this difference between them but I I it really makes me mad that people discount still like oh Gabby Petito like she still deserves as much attention as she's getting but everyone else deserves all that same attention right and that's the same thing with when we talked about Lacey Peterson and then the same woman who you know very similar circumstances went missing and murdered she got no attention compared to Lacey Peterson it's been going on for decades and hopefully 
with the way social media is, is that is slowly changing. I mean, I think automatically of Payne Lindsay, this season of Up and Vanish, he's focusing on a Native American woman. I mean, it's a slow and steady thing, but hopefully we will start seeing more attention for, you know, people of color and indigenous people and everyone involved. So we're not just focusing on white people, but that is definitely an uproar that we all have to kind of play into. Right. Well, and I think that's something that we are privileged enough to use our platform for. Yeah. We can cover whatever case we want, but even though we have a smaller following as of right now, you know, every one of our listeners is listening. So it is definitely our responsibility to bring attention to things that maybe they don't have access to on their own. Um, I know Gabby Petito's all over Facebook, but I've seen nothing about Daniel. I literally had to dig deep. So, and that's the thing is like, and one, you know, hour being the gym, I see her case five times over and I've actually seen Lauren's a little bit, but I haven't seen Daniel's really at all. Right. Um, but if anything that Gabby is doing is she is bringing more awareness to these people as well. And it's so interesting right now that we're finding so many people going missing in basically the middle of America. Like, I mean, there's so much wilderness and open space. Like, where are they going? They have to be somewhere, you know, and that's yeah. like, people just don't disappear. There's no way. Well, well, unless they planned it carefully. But even that dog, the bounty hunter is on it, y'all. So, yeah, but it's 2021. <laughs> like, you can't right. just disappear. I feel like. Maybe 50 years ago it was easier, but now, like, there's just no way you can disappear forever. Yeah, no. But, yeah, small Gabby Petito update. Dog the Bounty Hunter. Do we think – let's put our bets on. Do we think he's going to find Brian, yes or no? I think yes. I hope so. We're recording this on September 30th. Brian is still wherever he is in hiding. I refuse to say he's missing. He's not missing. He's in hiding. But I want Dog the Bounty Hunter to find him so (laughs) bad. Yeah. I'm like, well, I anyone really can do. Find him. I could find him. I mean, I, like, I want you know. anyone to find him, but <laughs> like, what kind of simulation are we living in if Dog the Bounty Hunter finds him? Oh my God. And I do believe he's still alive. I do. Absolutely. I think he's hiding and, you know, he probably just eaten his melons. Have you seen that post? No. Of his on Instagram <laughs> where he's like talking about how all he eats is melons because of the packaging or something? Oh my God. It's crazy. Yeah. I'll send it to you after this, but okay. we're off on a side tangent as always. Yeah. But, um, yes, we'll link the GoFundMe and make sure you're donating to the right one. Same with anything Gabby Petito-wise. Make sure there's a lot of scams out there that you are um, donating if you are donating to the correct GoFundMe. Being on foundation. So once we get more information on that, we'll start linking that as well. Yes, um, absolutely. That's great. I really didn't know anything except the Jeep. Um, but I hope there is some answers soon for Daniel, just like there was for Gabby. I mean, even if it's, you know the resolution none of us want at least that helps their family get some peace in there definitely some closure yeah some closure all right are we ready to get dark with the yeah, Sacramento girl. vampire you know i'm gonna hit you with it all right let's do it gonna be super dark today because it's the first week of spooky season not only are we dark we're dark we're spooky ghosts and goblins spooky scary skeletons spooky scary skeletons which means all month of october we're gonna do spooky cases spookier than ever but kaylin you got the first week so what do you have for us today Uh, 
I took the spooky theme and ran with it. Um, we're going to be doing the story of the Sacramento vampire. Um, and without further ado, this one is a dark one. Um, I'm not going to even ask you guys if you think it's too dark. It is. It's too dark. Um, so just fair warning. But if you're here for the gore and the guts, we're, we're bringing you today. I don't know if I am. I'm glad we're doing this before we get food because yeah, I might throw up. Actually, I know nothing about this case. Nothing. Yeah, I'm actually really excited um, to do this one. I heard um, my favorite murder, I think, covered it too, but that was a while ago. So I'm excited to bring some life to it. And we still live in the Sacramento area. So I feel like it's more fair for us to cover it than anybody else. So yeah, this is our hometown. Yeah. All right. So the Sacramento vampire was born Richard Trenton Chase. Three first names. Three We're first names. Off to a bad start. Already. Um, he was born on May 23rd, 1950, so Gemini season was in full swing. Oh, you know, I always forget that it starts that late. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, he's a Taurus. No. He's a Gemini. Okay. He's, a Gemini. he's one of me. Sorry, honey. Um, and he was born in Santa Clara County. His family life was relatively normal, um, described as a little bit insecure, just based on, like, his parents were mostly like always fighting or whatever i thought you meant he was insecure i'm like yeah me too obviously um his parents eventually ended up separating um due to his father's like abuse towards him and towards his mother but despite all of that um richard was considered a popular kid among his peer group all the way up until high school um, his parents reconciled and the family moved to Sacramento in order to start fresh because that's the place to do it, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Side note, I could never imagine my parents reconciling. Right. Like, it would piss me off. <laughs> like, even if they were like, oh my God, we're so in love, I'd be like, this, then why'd you get divorced in the first why'd place? How do you guys hate each other so much and now you love each other? No, honey. I would be absent to the wedding i'd be busy that weekend well and i feel like that's it's funny because i feel like kids of divorce either want their parents to get back together or they're like don't even talk to each other yeah. anymore like don't even okay um but this is where responsible adults in richard's life noticed his proclivity for some pretty disturbing behavior um by the age of 10 he met the criteria for the mcdonald triad which if you don't know what the mcdonald triad, triad is it's a three-part precursor to psychopathy um, namely bedwetting, cruelty to animals, and arson. Um, Ted Bundy met that criteria. Ed Gein met that criteria. Probably most of the serial killers that are the bigger names have met that criteria. Um, but it it's in the process of being debunked, but it is still like a valid thing that people look for in terms of determining criminal profiles. Um, the first instance of him meeting this criteria, though, is that he murdered a stray neighborhood cat and buried it in his mother's flower garden. Um, his mom found the dead animal and disposed of it. She didn't report anything of it. She didn't talk to him about it. She just threw it away. Do you think she knew that he did it? Or do you think she was like, who killed this cat and put it in my yard? Silly kids. I have a feeling she was one of those moms that like kind of saw the thing happening or like suspected the thing happening, but didn't want to acknowledge it. And Lived so, in denial, thought it would yeah. go away. It was a phase, it grew out of yeah, it. Yeah, definitely a phase. Um, but as he got older, um, particularly like in his adolescent years, he found that he had some problems 
with women, um, particularly in the dating arena. Um, as I mentioned, no one wanted to date him. It wasn't even that he was getting dates. Oh, um, he was very popular. He was attractive, even. But when it came to dating, he found okay. difficulty with sex, dude. Um, so, but we need to remember that murderers are not hot. I'm sorry. Um, but he was attractive. He, I mean, he was considered attractive in like a traditional, like boyish school way. I need to look him up. Hold on. Okay. Keep talking about how he can't get it up, and right. I will. Yeah. Tell you so, how I feel about him. He had a hard time orgasming. Um, he was later determined to be impotent, but this first foray into medical problems created a tendency towards hypochondria, and Richard became obsessed with his health. Um, his main fears were that his heart would spontaneously just stop beating and that his cranial bones were shifting in his head. Um, he shaved his head in order to watch the progress of this supposed bone shift. Um, girl, he is not cute. No, I know he was considered cute. I didn't say it. I don't, like, think, I don't so. think he's cute. Um, you know what? To each their own. I yeah, suppose. to each their own. He's not my type. Um, back, you messed me up. I'm so he shaved his head because he thinks <laughs> that his bones are moving in his head. Yeah, and then he thought his pulmonary artery had been stolen, presumably by the government. Where's the pulmonary artery? Uh, it's in your heart. And the microchip, <laughs> the microchip, um, and that his blood was turning to powder due to Nazi experiments done on him in what 1950. Year? Yeah, I was like, what year are we in? I forgot what year. Well, he was, he was born. born in 1950, and this is when he was in high school, so presumably like the late 60s. He also believed that his mother was poisoning him. Um, this prompted him to move out of his family home and into an apartment with friends. This is after he graduated from high school, um, just barely, though. Once he was independent, he was constantly under the influence of drugs, such as marijuana and LSD or alcohol. Um, he also had a particular repulsion towards wearing clothes. Um, he would walk around the apartment in the nude even when his roommates had guests. Oh, hell no. Yeah. So eventually they got fed up with that and asked him to move out, but he didn't want to move out. So they moved out, um, leaving him truly on his own for the first no time. No friend. Where life. did he meet? Oh, he was popular in high school. So I guess he had friends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, once he was on his own, Chase's condition worsened. He began to capture, kill, and disembowel various animals from around the neighborhood and then devour them raw. Um, sometimes he's mixing, just a carnivore. He's just a carnivore man. At this point, he is just a carnivore. It's not a, yeah. Raw. Yeah, raw meat, raw diet, raw foods diet. Um, sometimes he would mix the organs with Coca-Cola in a blender. Oh, no. <laughs> and he believed that in doing so, this kept his heart from shrinking and that he gained power from the consumption of blood. <laughs> I have truly no words that of any beverage we're choosing Coca-Cola. Yep. Like, I we are eating M&Ms and I've had four cookies today and that's it but I'm not eating organs and Coca-Cola so I yeah. think I'm winning here. I think yeah yeah you're definitely healthy like for sure. <laughs> yeah, so healthy. Um okay so then this continued um he you know kept eating eating birds and rabbits. He lived near a rabbit farm. He would like capture the rabbits. And in 1975, he was institutionalized in a psychiatric facility involuntarily because he developed septicemia, which is a severe blood infection. So he's like 25 at this point. Yeah, he's 25. 
Um, this was as a result of injecting rabbit's blood into his veins. Oh my. He escaped from the institution, but was captured quickly and brought to his facility for the criminally insane. His fascination, fascination, his fascination with blood. I wasn't going to call you out, but. That's fine. Um, his fashion, I can't say the word. Oh. Fascination his with fascination. blood. His fascination with blood earned him the nickname Dracula among the staff and other inmates within the facility. During his involuntary stay, Chase captured birds through the bars of his windows, broke their necks, and drank their blood and smeared it across his face. Why did nobody lock the window? It, I think it was through, like, the bars in the window, the way it's described in, like, all the research I was doing. But basically, like, it was, they were still allowed, like, fresh air and stuff. It's no. Not like a, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's like, if you are killing animals from the outside because yeah. for some reason the birds were sitting there right. and bringing them in you no longer get fresh air yeah no it gets worse i'm um, sure it does i'm gonna call Peter right after this one he was also caught extracting blood from the therapy dogs with syringes that he had stolen from the staff so so why are we bringing the dogs around him i yeah these are all great great questions i wasn't in charge of the facility at that time no way so um you know, obviously, when I am in charge of that facility, we won't be allowing therapy dogs in with the cannibals. But anyway, <clears throat> before his release later in 1976, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. I was going to ask if yeah. we diagnosed him with no, anything yet. yet. Here we are. Um, so, I mean, technically, yeah, he was diagnosed with hypochondria and now he's diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Um, he was released into his mother's care once the facility deemed that he was no longer a threat to society. So she can keep poisoning him? So she can keep poisoning his blood. Um, his mother decided that his antipsychotic medication, which had been helping him up to this point, was unnecessary. So she weaned him off of it. Big mood. Me with my antidepressants. <laughs> Honestly. Um, once the meds were cycled out of his system, though, Richard was back to his comfort zone. He killed his mother's cat this time in the backyard. And this is, this is just really fucked up to me, at least. But so he killed his mother's cat and then he called her attention to himself while he was still holding the cat and then took blood from the cat and smeared it across his chest and collarbone as she watched from the kitchen window. Um, his mom decided that he wasn't going to be allowed in the house anymore and set him up in a new apartment with different roommates who, for mysterious reasons, decided they didn't want to be part of that situation. Once again, leaving Chase on his own. He continued his antics of killing small animals, going so far as to adopt a dog from a neighbor, kill the dog, eat its organs, drink its blood, and then leave the corpse on the neighbor's lawn. Again, no one made a police report about this. What do you think his favorite organ was to eat? Probably the heart, because his was, like, always shrinking on him. Right. So he thought, I don't know, that's maybe just my brain thinking, like, well, if my heart was shrinking and I thought I got power from organs, I would probably think that the organ I was eating would empower my organs, but... I would say maybe the brain, though. I feel like the brain is the most powerful organ. Is that an organ? Does it count it's as It's considered an organ, an organ but I... I I am not a nursing major. Speaking from personal experience, my brain is not the strongest of my organs. So. No, but it is if you think about it yeah. because it controls everything, even if it's mentally ill. So Yeah, well, that's true. As yes. your therapist right now. <laughs> Sponsored by BetterHelp. I'm wet. <laughs> Give me a discount. Something, please. 
Um, but yeah, so no, no police report was made about him. Why would it be bringing this dog into the world and then taking it out? Um, the next thing I want to talk about is what actually earned him interactions with the law. All right. So on August 3rd, 1977, Chase was arrested on a Native American reservation in Pyramid Lake, Nevada, which is about two hours or so from Sacramento. He was found naked and wandering in the desert, covered in blood. Um, the police found his truck parked amongst the sand dunes where they found a liver and a bucket of blood, as well as hunting rifles. They sent the blood and liver out for testing, but it was determined that it belonged to a cow that Chase had illegally slaughtered, so they let him go. So who called the police on him, the Native Americans? I think the police drove by and saw him naked, wandering, covered in blood. That's the impression I got. Um, later that year, on December 27th, Chase fired a 22 caliber handgun through a window in the home of a Sacramento woman. Why? I, I'm not mentally ill enough to understand that, unfortunately. Yeah. Just in a silly, goofy mood. <clears throat> he just decided that's what he needed to do for the day. Um, but the bullet barely missed the woman, and the slug from the bullet was later found lodged in her kitchen wall just behind where she'd been standing doing the dishes. She oh, so he was trying to take her out. Yeah, like, like ah. he for sure, he just freaked out, I guess, because he didn't actually hit. Um, she called the police to report Thank the God. shooting, but no connection was made to Chase at the time. They just were like, oh, well, that's weird. Somebody shot into your house. Bye. Um, two days later, on December 29th, 1977, Chase committed his first murder. So it, he's 27? 27-ish? Yeah. 27. 51-year-old okay. um, Ambrose Griffin was helping his wife bring in the groceries when Chase drove by and shot him with the 22 handgun. He hit a major vessel in Griffin's lungs, causing him to collapse on the driveway while Chase drove off. Griffin's wife, seeing him collapse, called 911, and Ambrose was actually still alive, fighting for air when the paramedics arrived. He died due to blood loss about 15 minutes after he was shot, um, but because no one saw the actual shooting, his family thought initially that he had been having a heart attack. It was only later that they learned of the drive-by shooting. So, to me, that was really sad. I don't know. That is I, really sad. Probably just because it's an old guy. and like. I, I mean, you're just doing like a mundane activity in life. And then it's like, yeah, I'm taking the groceries. Oh, and then some crazy psychopath just drove by and shot me. He only have the balls to get out of the car. Right. Like, if you're going to murder me, at least let me see your face. Right. Who am I going to tell? I'm dead. I'm already dead. Yeah. Um, police couldn't find a clear motive for that crime, though. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, because there isn't one, really. Um. And they reached out to the public for information via the media. Um, Richard collected newspaper clippings regarding the crime, and they were still like present in his apartment throughout everything else that's about to happen. On January 11th, so about 13 days later, um, he attempted to enter the home of Jean Layton. Upon finding all of her doors and windows locked, however, he walked away, later claiming that locked doors mean you aren't welcome. Because he's a vampire, right? Right, yeah. So that's the thing. No one, like, explicitly said this, but being a spooky person myself, knowing that vampires have to be invited into your home, you know, this this follows. But you know what? Vampire did not follow that. Edward Cullen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I had to think about it. I know, you were really looking at me. Hold on, hold on. He just just was watching her sleep like like I'm Santa Claus. Love you. Love you. Love you, Bella. I just want to read your thoughts. I just want (laughs) to suck your blood. The worst part about the interaction with Jean, though, Jean watched as he attempted to enter her house. Oh, hell no. Made eye contact through the window with him, but she was so frozen in fear that she couldn't call the police until, like, after he'd already run away. On January 23rd, 1978, Richard broke into the Edwards family home. Um, They were out shopping, but upon finding their door unlocked, Richard entered and started collecting random valuables, as well as urinating and defecating in the baby's room. When the family returned home... Like, why? He's chaotic. Like, that's the thing. And I'll get into this a little bit later, but basically they eventually end up profiling him as what they call a disorganized killer. Um, meaning that there's no rhyme or reason really to his crimes and there's no real similarities other than like the weapon used or like similarities within the crime scenes, which I'll go over. But yeah, he's chaotic. Um, But yeah, when the family returned home, they found Richard's stash of valuables and caught him unaware, prompting him to run out of the house. Uh, Mr. Edwards chased him down, but he was unable to catch up. That same day, Chase was in a shopping center and ran into a former high school friend, Nancy Holden. Um, Holden did not recognize Chase uh, because he went from being a very handsome, like, all-American type boy to this raggedy Charles Manson. I will show, say, you showed me the picture from high school. Okay, I get he was yeah. attractive. But then he started looking like Richard Ramirez. Yeah. He looks like he not taking a shower. He had a nice jawline before he got all, like, gaunt and scary looking. Well, because... He has, he is gone because his blood is powder. His blood, his blood is powder and his heart is shrinking. And, and his head. And stole his bones. Yeah. yeah I mean, Definitely. I feel for him, you know, just. If I ever come up to you and I say, hey, I think my blood is turning to powder. Can you just commit me immediately? I like, honestly think I'd be like, okay, like <laughs> you say some shit to me and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Do I need a built bar about it? Yeah. Do you want a protein bar? Yeah. Will that help? Um. Holden, like I said, didn't recognize Chase and assumed him to be a vagrant. Um, he identified himself, though, and to her shock, uh, it was him. They struck up a conversation, but Nancy did that thing where she politely kind of let him know, like, hey, I need to get on with my day. I don't want Like to anyone you see from high school. Right, exactly. When I go to my hometown, I don't want to see any of you, but when I do... I'm like, oh my god, wow, it's crazy. So good to see you. Anyways, I have to go now. I have a tattoo appointment. Bye. Don't be started. (laughs) Nancy let him know that she needed to be going. um, And he asked her for a ride. This woman who forgot about his existence and didn't really recognize him at all. um, She declined, but he still attempted to get into her car with her. So she drove off, which is fair. Good job, Nancy, following your gut. So Richard took off on foot after Nancy was like, don't get into my car, you fucking weirdo. Um, He found a gap in the fence near the shopping center, and he entered the backyard belonging to the Wallen family. 22-year-old Teresa Wallen was home alone. Richard snuck into the home when she took the garbage out. Again, she left the door unlocked, so it was an open invitation. I thought, though, vampires had to, like, get it verbalized. Like, oh, yeah, come in. I mean, he's not an actual vampire, but I think for him, like, he... But he thinks he's a vampire. You know what I mean? Like, 
Because no one would have invited him into his their yeah. home. Yeah. Because on Vampire Diaries, don't they have to like get invited in? Probably. I've never actually watched Vampire Diaries. So I watched the, the beginning person. part of it, and then I was like, I don't care. When Teresa re-entered the home, Richard shot her three times. Um, once in the hand, once in the head, and then the final time at close range into her temple. Teresa was three months pregnant at the time. um, Richard stripped her from the waist down, cut her abdomen open. Please don't tell me what you're going to tell me. Stabbed her heart, removed her organs and her unborn child, stuffed her mouth with dog feces from her backyard, and then proceeded to use a discarded yogurt container to drink her blood. I thought you were going to tell me he was going to eat the baby. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? I, I would have probably had to decide. Well, actually, yeah. No, I would like, have That to was all really dark, yeah. but I was like, if he cuts the baby out of her and eats it, I'm walking out of this house. Yeah. I'm not waiting for the Cheesecake Factory. I'm done for the day. <laughs> you can be a solo podcaster. Yeah. Welcome, I'll leave my welcome, computer here, too. Welcome. <laughs> okay, bye. Um, he ran off before... Her husband, David Wallen, returned home to find this obviously horrific scene. Okay. Can we just pause, though? He went out of his way to go outside and get dog shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... Yeah. No, he's a piece of shit. And he's... Well, yes, but it's like yeah. we're doing so many extra steps that don't need to be done, likely. He's not mentally well. <laughs> he didn't eat the baby like I thought he was going to eat it, but yeah. Oh, my God. Her poor husband. That yeah. is horrific. Yeah. Um, David, obviously, immediately called the police. Frank Davidson and Detective Lieutenant Ray Biondi were the first people on this scene. It took them nearly 24 hours to process all of the evidence that um, Richard had left behind. The yogurt cup that he had left puzzled them, um, but also showed them that he was wearing gloves, um, which becomes important later. I was going to say, I really thought he'd be the type that just did not care. Yeah. Also, I feel like in the 70s and 80s, like because DNA wasn't super prevalent, People were just, like, leaving their spit everywhere. Yeah. They were leaving every. I mean, I feel like they would cut their fingernails, like, on the bodies to yeah. be like, <laughs> you're never going to catch me. They're out here, like, gross. Moving on. Um, so Davidson and Biondi began working with the FBI to create a profile of their killer, describing him as a blitz killer or a disorganized killer. Biondi commented that this made him particularly dangerous as he was determined to be a loner acting on impulse. There was no rhyme or reason to who he was targeting. It was just whoever happened to be in his field of vision, basically, like when he was out and about. At this point, have we linked him to any other things or are we thinking this is like a one-time killer? They haven't directly linked him to anything um, yet, but they will soon. Um, but basically as of right now, we know that he continued to collect like the newspaper clippings from his crimes and reverted back to his childhood pastime of killing animals. Um, he killed another dog and left the remains on that owner's lawn as well. Um, the police continued their investigations and drew a connection between the, the weapon used to kill Ambrose Griffin, Teresa Wallen, and the slug found in the kitchen of that woman in Sacramento. They theorized, uh, based on that information alone, that he lived within a one-mile radius of where the crimes had happened. Were they correct? Yes, they were correct. Dude, profiling is so wild to me. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's very interesting to me, and I definitely could see myself, like, taking that path with psychology. But at the same time, like, 
I don't know. I, I get so drawn into things and so obsessive about stuff. So I'd be like, well, he lives within a mile. So let's go knock on every door yeah. within a mile. And then, then we'll have our killer. I would <laughs> so. love to, except I hate school. Yeah. So it would never be my thing. That's why I wasn't a psych major. I was like, what am I going to do with that? I'll be, com- school? I'll be a communication studies major instead. Cause <laughs> that gives me so many more career opportunities. You can be a podcaster. Be my own boss. <laughs> be your own boss. Um, Okay, so now we're at four days after the Wallen murders. Um, Four days after killing and mutilating Teresa Wallen, Richard made his final kills. Thank God. Not thank God for them, but like thank God that this is... It's almost done. ...eventually coming to an end for him. On January 27th, 1978, Richard found his way to the home of 36-year-old Evelyn Miroth and her six-year-old son, Jason. On this day, a neighbor had invited Jason to go to the snow, which I'm going to pause right here. I'm not from California. Like, I know I said Sacramento's my hometown. I'm from Detroit. Um, So we don't say going to the snow. The whole state is the snow. You live where the snow is. So you're just going outside. I'm from California. And yes, you go to the snow. This is one of my favorite things. This is an event. It's an event. Going to the snow. And I just think it's so cute. Like, I didn't really make that connection when I first started like having friends in California, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to the snow. And I'm like, what? Like you literally have to drive Dude. somewhere else to Soon, find snow. It's gonna be we're going to the rain because yeah, it doesn't rain. I'm going to Seattle, I'm going to the rain. It's like I get like saying I'm going to the beach, but you're not saying I'm going to the ocean. You say I'm going to the beach. So to me, you're not going to the snow, you're going to the mountains, right? No, you're going to the snow. Yeah, you're going to the snow. I mean, I, sure, I, I guess yeah. it's the mountains, but the snow. Yeah. But anyway, that was a little side tangent that none of you probably care about, but it was important to me. But we're leaving it in, so you better think it's important. So, um, because Jason had been invited to go to the snow, Evelyn, who was babysitting her 22-month-old nephew, David. Why did I think you were going to say 22-year-old Okay, I almost typed 22-year-old. Okay, so Evelyn, who was babysitting her 22-month-old nephew, David, asked her friend Daniel Meredith to take Jason shopping for attire suitable for going to the snow. She's going to Big Five, baby. Daniel and Jason left. Evelyn and David were still at home. The front door was left unlocked, which, again, we know is an invitation to enter the home. Exactly. Richard shot and killed Evelyn in the hallway. The noise startled baby David, who immediately started crying because he's a baby and there was a loud noise and he was a baby. Richard shot him in the head, killing (gasps) him immediately. No, thank you. He returned his focus to Evelyn, dragging her to one of the front bedrooms. This paper script is so official. (laughs) Um, Where he stripped her naked, sodomized her corpse stabbed her major organs, and attempted to remove one of her eyes. I really almost threw up. <laughs> this is, okay, and, like, again, I really just want to nail this in. I know how dark that is. This is one of those cases, like, even my stomach is turning, but the psychology and everything involved in this, like, I can't imagine a human person actually going out of their way to do these things, let alone justify them in their minds. Um well, this is one why we have a co-host here. Right. So it's not too dark for you by yourself. Right. And two, 
it always brings up the thing is there's no way anyone can make someone this horrible. Like, you right. have to be born this way. Yeah, there's got to be something wired in your head that makes Because it from what it. you're saying is, yes, his parents split up, but... So what? Everyone does. Me. It's a 50-50 chance, honey, at this point. And they got back together, so okay, I guess that's a little traumatizing, <laughs> in my opinion. But what else happened in his life from his parents? Like, there... From what you're saying, there's no sexual abuse. There's no physical abuse. Yeah, his dad was, like, verbally abusive, but it wasn't, like... And, again, I, I understand the validity of that. I understand finding, like, a trauma from that. Absolutely. I don't want to discount that, but that doesn't mean you go out and do these things. No. Um. So, with that being said, as awful as this is about to be, um, this is actually the only known occurrence of Richard Chase reaching an orgasm. That's... I hear. Yeah. Yeah. I he hate it. Left the physical evidence, i.e., semen, in Evelyn's corpse, um, which was described by the CSI team as an inordinate amount. So not only was he getting off, he got off a lot, um, where he previously had, had issues with this, and it took necrophilia and brutalizing a body for that to be a possibility for him. Um, at this point, Daniel and Jason return home from their shopping. Oh, no. Richard shot them in the living room. Oh, he's still there. <clears throat> Richard's still there. Daniel died immediately. Jason, the six-year-old, oh. was shot twice in the head, the second shot at point-blank range. Um, returning back to Evelyn, Richard collected blood from her body in a utility bucket and drank it. He then removed David's body from the crib and fled the scene in Daniel's car. Wait, is, is Daniel, the baby still alive? David, David, the baby is dead. He shot him in the head when he started crying. And he took the baby. He took the baby with him. Um, he fled the scene in Daniel's car. At his apartment, he decapitated David's corpse and drank his blood. According to police reports, Richard also castrated David and used his genitals as a straw through which to drink his blood. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I need a break. Yeah. Take a break. Yeah. Okay. So we literally just took a break because yeah, it was too much. I've never heard anything that dark or twisted or like shocking. Like everything you're telling me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That last part about what he did to that poor baby. I am not even going to repeat it. And next week for you, I've already told you, you need to tell me a good, like, I was like, oh, well, let me think of a lighter story. Murder isn't light. So there is no light story. But what about we talk about maybe Jesus? Oh, yeah. We could talk about the murder of Jesus. That's <laughs> you can tell you that story. I'm I don't familiar. want to know about the murder of Jesus. Let's tell me about <laughs> a good. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So please tell me this is the end of. So Richard's like I, reign. Like I said, that was his last murder. Um, Evelyn's neighbors sounded the alarm as they believed to. They saw Daniel's corpse through the living room window, which they did. They were right in their beliefs. The police believed the Miroth, Wallen, and Griffin murders were all connected and released a composite sketch of the suspect to the public. On January 28th, the next day, 1978, Nancy Hold Holden saw the police composite sketch. Nancy. Nancy, my girl. She said, this motherfucker tried to get in my car. 
She saw the police composite sketch in her father-in-law's patrol car because he was a Sacramento police officer and immediately reported to him her interaction with Chase the previous week and his similarities to the composite sketch. Her father-in-law reported this to the department. Now, with a suspect to investigate, the police dug into Richard's criminal and psychiatric background. They found a previous mugshot and comparing it to the composite sketch found the likeness pretty much uncanny. Um, the documentary I watched for like a lot of my research, they drew a goatee and a mustache on and I was like, okay, yeah, like sure. It's like that episode of Spongebob where like Spongebob's the bad guy. Um, but for whatever reason, they drew it. It looks exactly like, like him though. Guy. Yeah. Um, they brought a team to Richard's apartment, but he refused to answer when they were like, Sacramento police. Um, he said, I can't hear you. Who's that? The police um, never heard of them. So the police concocted a sneaky, sneaky plan to pretend they were leaving and coming back with a warrant. They stayed. They just stopped banging on the door. He just what, opened it. And they were out of sight. Oh, Jesus Christ. So he attempted to leave with a utility bucket, the same one used to drink Evelyn's blood. Okay, we got to like let the bucket go. A box full of bloody rags, mm -hmm. Daniel Meredith's wallet, family photos of the Miroth family. Why do we have those? Um, what a weird moment to have to take. It is, yeah, I mean, it's my treasures. Um, and his 22 semi-automatic handgun. He said, I'm just gonna, nothing to see here. Yeah, nothing to see here. Frank Davidson, who you'll remember was the first person on the scene in the Wallen murders, was also the responding um, officer to the Miroth murders. So he was first on the scene in both situations. He was the one who got the pleasure of the interrogation with Richard. He called it the most difficult one of his career. Richard would not budge. He denied involvement in everything they brought him up on. And they, de they decided it was necessary to search his apartment for additional evidence. It was filthy. They I'm found, shocked by that information. I'm shocked that it wasn't crisp, crisp and clean. Oh, wow. They found body parts, organs, no. and brain matter um, matching to the DNA profile of David Ferreira. They also found his blender and kitchen utensils absolutely covered in human blood. You think he made normal smoothies out of that? No, God. He was like, mm. he, he had blood one time and he's like, this is all I want for the rest of my life. No, he has to have it. Yeah. So his blood doesn't turn into protein powder. Yeah, he, I told you, his heart was shrinking. I know. God. <laughs> um, David's body, though, was not found in the apartment. Um, it was actually found nearly three months later on April 24th. Um, it was abandoned in a cardboard box behind a church. Daniel Meredith's car keys were also in that box. How did it take a month for a church to find it? Like three it, months. Three months. Three months later. For a church to find it. I I'm not really sure. God was on a vacation. Yeah, he's like, we're not we're not watching that. We're watching something else. Bachelor in Paradise is on TV today. Four hours a week. <laughs> Four hours. With all of this evidence and his criminal background, they took Richard to trial on January 2nd, 1979 in the Santa Clara, sorry, Santa Clara County Magistrates Court. He was accused of six counts of first-degree murder to which he pleaded innocent by reason of insanity. Yeah, that does make sense. I'm going to. 
his defense team argued that the acts were not premeditated due to his mental condition. The prosecution was like, hold your horse's sister. They argued that he wore gloves, which they knew from the yogurt cup, um, cleaned the knife that he stabbed Teresa Wallen with, and removed evidence from the scenes of all of the crimes, as well as collecting paraphernalia, such as the newspaper clippings and family photos, um, all of which they used to show premeditation and awareness that he was committing these acts. Okay. But here's my thing. Okay. I do think he made it, maybe had like a kill kit, but I think it kind of reminds me of like Israel Keys, where it's like he was going to people's houses, seeing if they can open the door. So maybe he had a kill kit like Israel Keys did all throughout the country, but I don't think he was like, I'm going to go kill this person. I no, think it yeah. was like a crime of opportunity, but I think his intention was to kill someone. Yeah. And I think that's but I do funny. think, honestly, he should be found insane mm-hmm. because, come on. Yeah. But I think not that I think he should ever be released, but I think he should hopefully get some help in a psychiatric facility and not just be sitting in prison and rotting. Well, you just have to remember he's been in, in and out of psychiatric facilities. But he should be in one forever. Yeah, forever, definitely. But his mommy took him off his meds. So here we are. We oh my God, he's still of off his meds. Yeah, he's still off his meds. Wow. Um. <clears throat> On the 8th of May, 1979, Richard was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by a gas chamber. He was incarcerated (gasps) at San Quentin. So he was right about the Nazis. He was right about the Nazis. What? Um, He was incarcerated at San Quentin Prison. Aren't they all in California? That's the only death row we have. So, yes. On the 8th of May, 1979, Richard was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by a gas chamber. He was incarcerated at San Quentin Prison, um, but his medical condition continued to worsen. So, he was taken to a state medical facility in Vacaville to undergo further psychiatric treatment. They prescribed him antidepressants, and once they deemed him fit to return, sent him back to San Quentin. Now... They said, you ain't getting away this time. Hold on. Um, the other inmates were terrified of Richard. No idea why. Um, so they made a point to steer clear of him. I mean, what do you mean? You have no idea why. Uh, that was sarcasm. No. Um, normally, child killers become targets for other inmates in prison. But because right. of his crimes and fascination with blood, the other inmates thought it better to manipulate Richard into taking his own life. Um, they said, hey, just go kill yourself. On December 20th. It really sounds like junior high. Yeah, no, it really does. That's what that's what prison is. Yeah. On December 26, 1980, Richard Trenton Chase took a fatal overdose of the antidepressants he had been hoarding. Oh, God. Thus ending the life of the vampire of Sacramento. So what you're telling me is that he did all these horrific things and then he was peer pressured to kill himself. Yep. That's annoying. I know. I honestly though, like I okay, so I don't want to get into a death penalty debate, but the fact that it was still Oh, let's do it. Gas chambers. Like, Very interesting. Which the reason they moved from gas chambers to lethal injection is gas chambers were considered cruel and unusual. Um, but this wasn't until nineteen ninety five. Um but nineteen ninety five was took that long to realize. To realize it was cruel and unusual, um, to asphyxiate people to death. Yeah. And one of the things, like, about that I just think is interesting, like, we put the worst of humanity in the same place 
awaiting whatever is going to come to them, whether they die of old age, they kill themselves, they get put to death. Um, but at least in California, we don't, we send the worst of the worst to there. Like there's, you know, people who probably don't deserve to be there awaiting their death. But in this case, like, it's like you said, like the Nazi thing came true, right? They're using the chloride gas and like all this stuff. And he couldn't own up. Did he never admit to anything he did? Because he had that like innocent by reason of insanity thing going. I can't say that he like ever officially said, yeah, I did it. And I do it again. But I think he did admit to the crimes because he felt that he could get away with it due to his mental status. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's this one it was a rough one to research. It was a rough one to tell. I the break we took in the middle there was necessary for both of us, I promise. Um Yeah, and we usually don't I feel yeah, like we we can usually push through. For people that I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but we record two episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. And usually I go first and then you go. So it's interesting that you're going first this time cuz we're hopefully going to have a dinner break at some point, but Yeah. Um, because the case that I'm talking about, which will be a week before this one airs, um, where I want to talk about the death penalty a lot too, mm-hmm. um, which when we talk about it, it'll make more sense. So I don't want to like say too much about my Spoiler opinion. Alert. Spoiler alert. but you've already heard it. <laughs> um, but, oh, we've never had to like take a break. Usually yeah. we're like, okay, my episode's done. It's your turn. Yeah. Da, 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 back and forth. I don't know. I just... Mm, I'm glad we did this before dinner, but also now I'm like, hmm, yeah. something ain't, <laughs> this ain't sitting right with me. But yeah, the gas chamber, I think to me though, the cruelest form of punishment is when they're like, oh, it's a shooting range. Oh yeah. The, I'm um, like, firing range. Yeah. where are we? Like, are we in the medieval times? They did that to protect the person pulling the trigger. So multiple people would line up with right. the rifles, but no one knew which shot was the fatal shot. Um, but I think that was also deemed cruel and unusual yeah. eventually. Although, I'm going to have to look this up, so don't clock me on it. But I believe they did just execute somebody by firing squad in North Carolina this year. I want to say that I heard that too, and it was like a choice or something. Because I think in some states you get choices of a few. Mm. But I know they may – because when you're injected with lethal injection, for some reason they still have someone press a button. Yeah. I don't know why it can't be an automatic thing. It's just 20, 21 people cars can drive themselves but we still have to kill people but i i don't know if it was on netflix or i remember watching this like documentary or docu show or whatever of a guy who a warden of a person who used to be because it was like two people and he even said like the fact that it's a 50 50 shot literally he did it for 14 years and he like had a mental break yeah and de- and is like super anti-death penalty now because he's like i've killed so many people and my promise is that like four percent of the people that are, we've executed the United States has executed, were found innocent later. Right. Anyways, that was... If you are interested in seeing some of the crime scene photos or photos of Richard, both handsome and post-handsome... Um, Before his blood turned to powder, ash, powder um, and after his blood turned to powder... I used Wikipedia for a lot of my research. I used Murderpedia for the more in-depth details about the crimes, and that's where you can find the crime scene photos. Um, I also looked on crimemuseum.org, and I watched a documentary on Hulu. Um, It's called World's Most Evil Killers, and Richard's episode is season four, episode eight. 
It has I'm gonna watch that. interviews with um, Frank Davidson and Roy Biondi, the investigators on the scene, as well as um, some of the like psychoanalysis that I didn't really get into because I kind of was just trying to stick to the facts. Um, and yeah. No tangents, except we went on 14 14 tangents. Um, but hopefully you guys will continue listening to us. Not all of my episodes will be this dark, I promise. I feel this like we've gotten darker. Though. Yeah. But it is spooky season. Right. So Which is funny because we're recording spooky. this in the middle of September. Yeah. But it is spooky season for those listening. So um, make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, five stars. If you have anything less than five, we don't care. Share it with your mommy. Share it with share your with mom, your, your dad, your parents that got back together, your parents that got divorced. Share it with your vampire friends, your werewolf friends, whoever. Share it with everyone. Follow us on Instagram is that too dark? If you really want to follow our personal pages, all I do is post pictures of my cat and Keelan posts nothing. Um, so that is also on, is that too dark? And that is where we do fun questions. We ask what you guys want to see here. We also update you guys on news topics and just post some new stuff and post other podcasts that we like to listen to. So, um, have a good week. Sorry for ruining your Sunday. Go to church. Bye. <laughs>